partner with a jar. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to say a prayer, and they're going to take up the offering. So if you'd pray with me, please. Dear Lord, I thank you for such a beautiful morning. I thank you for all the potential that we have in this day. I thank you that we celebrate mothers today and what they mean in our lives. I pray that as Chris comes to teach, that you would give him the words to say and um, that you would just be speaking through him. And as we give this offering, Lord, that we at the jar would know how best to use it and um, uh, just use it to penetrate this community with your love and help them see that we are on their side and, and that you are on their side. So, Lord, I just ask that you would be with us in these next few minutes and that you would um, bless the rest of our day and our week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome to the jar for a second time. And I want to be the first one to say, Happy Mother's Day. Okay? And uh, we're so glad for our moms. We want to celebrate them today. Uh, two weeks ago, uh, my wife, uh, Jennifer, and I had our youngest daughter, Shiloh. My wife became a mom for a second time. I think we have a picture up here. Uh, it's kind of weird in our family. Uh, our oldest daughter, Jordan's birthday was yesterday. Today's Mother's Day. And so we had a family outing, our first family outing, at Mound State Park yesterday. And uh, so mom and baby are doing well. Uh, Shiloh uh, is our daughter's name, and she is sleeping all the time, except when we want her to, okay? And uh, Jennifer is not sleeping at all, Uh, but uh, please keep them in your prayers. But we really do want to honor our moms today, and uh, in being able to do that, we want to, uh, you know, kind of do something special. Now, many times when we celebrate Mother's Day, um, churches give away carnations or something like that. And I thought, you know, that's good, but we want to kind of raise the level a little bit uh, this year. And so every mom who's here today, you're going to get a brand new Malibu Chevy. Okay. I mean, we just decided we we're just going to zero out the budget and the keys are waiting for you. Kind of like big Oprah giveaway, you know, when you leave. Actually, you will get a carnation. Okay. Now, in just a second, I'm going to uh, ask all the moms to stand up. And uh, when we do, I want you to be able to kind of celebrate them and to honor them. And guys, I've been around you before, some of you, at, you know, football games where a guy catches a a touchdown pass or where someone does a slam dunk and you go crazy about something like that. But sometimes, you know, when it comes to our moms and comes to Mother's Day, we're like, yippee moms, who? You going to bring the food? You know, that kind of thing. Or, boy, it's nice today. Could we go golfing? It's your Mother's Day gift, you know? Now, come on, folks. We want to really do something special for our moms. So uh, I want all the moms to stand up. Go ahead, stand up. I know you hate to do this. Stand up and let's uh, celebrate. Woo! 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 (laughs) Woo! All right, good job. Now, did you notice what happened? Some moms were really embarrassed to stand up. Then once they got, you know, standing up, people started clapping. They really started got, they started sitting down. 
If this was dads on Father's Day, they'd be looking around, waving at people going, yeah, I'm a dad. Yeah? And it's just a different way that we look at things. Um, but uh, we do have a carnation for all of our moms and all the women in the church. Because Mother's Day is a day in which we really want to celebrate and honor our moms. Now, I want to kind of appreciate uh, two groups, two special groups in particular. Now, I'm going to ask you to stand up again for this. But uh, we want to celebrate a couple different groups of moms. The first group of moms are those who have been moms for 40 years or more. And if you're not sure, mom, because you know you've been a mom for a long time, if you have a child who's 40, you're in, okay? So... If uh, you uh, have been a mom for 40 years or more, would you please stand? Okay. Now, the way we're going to do this is, let's clap. Thank you. You guys deserve a lot, but keep standing for just a second. The way we're going to do this is we have a little gift for you, but uh, we're going to do it by the oldest mom, Okay. So we're going to start at 40, and then we're going to work our way up. But we all know that, you know, none of you are older than 50. So we'll just kind of leave it at that, okay? So if you've been a mom for 45 years, keep standing, okay? If you've been a mom for 50 years, why don't you keep standing, okay? If you've been a mom for 55 years, would you keep standing? Okay, we got one. Let's give a hand. How long? Okay. 59 years a mom, okay? I'm hoping I just live to be 59, you know, let alone that. Okay, now the second group that we want to honor is a really special group, too, and that is our youngest mom, okay? So if you have been a mom for two years or less, would you please stand up, okay? Two years or less, good. All right, let's clap for them. Now, the reason we're clapping for them is because they're still not sleeping very much, okay? And I understand. So we wanted to give them something. Now... If uh, we're going to go the other way, we're going to go lower, okay? So if you have been a mom for 18 months, if you want to keep standing, okay? You've been a mom for one, well, hold on. All right, we just got two left. You guys need it both, so we got something for both of you. How long? Seven months. Seven months, okay. How long is it? Six months. Six months, seven months, okay? All right. Thank you, moms. Um, Well, today is the day in which we want to honor our moms. In fact, the Bible talks about that a lot. There's a scripture up here. I'd like us to read it. Let's not read the father part, okay? Let's just honor the moms today. So let's read it on three. One, two, three. Honor your mother. Okay? Honor your mother. And uh, that's what we want to do. And the question becomes, well, how do you do that? How do you honor your mom? And the reality is, is that you can even honor your mom if they're no longer living. You can honor your mom even if uh, 
you know, you didn't know your mom. Or if you've kind of had a horrible relationship with your mom, you can still honor them. And one simple way is for the fact that they labored you into earth, that they labored you here into this world. And that's one way, if nothing else, that you can honor them. And so I want to encourage you today to take the opportunity to honor your moms and do it any way that you can do it, but basically say it. Say it with words, say it with flowers, say it with candy, say it with cards, say it with money. You know, moms like money. It doesn't matter how you say it, just say it. Now here's a picture of my mom. Uh, Her name is Zamora. We call her Sis. That's easier to say. And uh, I love my mom. In fact, I'm a mama's boy. You know, I mean, I'm confessing. I admit it. Um, My wife has had 15 years of having to be sometimes number two because, uh, you know, my mom is just uh, really important to me. And I like to honor her in different ways. And the reason I do is because she is the one who taught me the two most important relationships in life. The two most important relationships in life. Now, the best way I know how to describe these uh, two relationships is by drawing. And so if you want to pull out, there's a sheet in there that's your teaching notes. If you want to pull that out, uh, you can. And if you don't want to, you don't have to. But we're going to kind of have draw along with Chris here for a second. And the best way I know how to talk about the two key relationships that my mom taught me is by drawing a cross. And on this vertical end, I'll move this out of the way so everybody can see, is God and you. This is the vertical relationship, which is God and you. It's one of the most important relationships that you'll ever have in life. And what this is, is basically this relationship in which we relate with God and He relates with us. We Look up to Him, and He looks down to us, and we connect, and we have a relationship with Him. There is no other relationship in your life, even though it's Mother's Day, Mom, there's no other relationship in any of your kid's life than this relationship between God and you. And my mom was the first one to kind of show me that type of relationship, how I could have a real relationship with this God uh, of the universe. And that she told me that this relationship wasn't based on my behavior, but it was based upon his amazing love for me. So this is it. This is the most important relationship that you can have, and it's one that my mom taught me. And the reality is when you relate with God, it's not this distant God who's up there far away, but it's a God who is close, who is present, who is right here. And He wants to be a part of my life, and He wants to be a part of each of your lives on this Mother's Day. He wants to listen to you. He wants to hear everything about your day. He wants to talk to you. He wants to reach out in love with you. And in return, He desires that we would reach back up to Him in love as well. In fact, Jesus put it this way when He said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. The inner life, the spiritual life, begins with this relationship. More than anything else in life, the key is this relationship between God and you. And this is where intimacy begins. Intimacy does not happen 
at its fullest, except within our relationship with God. You might even want to write down that word. I think it's in your program anyways, but you could write down the word intimacy. That's what God wants. He wants a personal, intimate relationship with you. Now, from this relationship with God and you, you eventually have the horizontal part of the cross, which is you and others. You and others. And this is where we say that you can have a relationship between you and God, but the reality is that God is invisible and sometimes we need help to understand who He is. And so we reach out horizontally to the people on our right and to the people on our left, the people that you're sitting beside right now, people connected to God in some way, and we say, I need some help. I need some help in understanding the Bible or I might need some help in prayer or I just need some help dealing with my kid who I'm struggling with right now. And the community of faith, that's what this relationship is about, helps us to understand that. And so we're looking up to God and then we're reaching out to one another. And as we do that, as we do it well, then we reach out to people who don't even know God. And we realize that this is where community really is at its best. Jesus described how to build this type of community when he said this, love others as much as you love yourself. You can't just say, oh, I'm going to love God and the heck with everybody else. Because if you do that, then you're really not loving God. The Bible tells us that if you don't love God, then you can't love other people. It's just a false kind of thing. In fact, a relationship with God demands that you love other people. If you love God, you'll reach out and you'll love other people. And not just people you like, okay? That's the problem, is that many times we feel like, well, you know, I'll love the people that I like. And Jesus said, how about loving the people you don't like? Not just your family, not just your friends, not just the people here at the jar, but how about every single person that you come into contact with that you'd love them? You may not like their behaviors, you may not like what they do, but you would love them. That's why on Mother's Day we talk about this, because moms have that type of love. They are the closest thing that I've ever seen to the love that God has. They don't have God's love, but they they show it in many ways. So you love up, and then you love out. Isn't that good? You probably should write that down. You love up, and then you love out. You step up to God... And then you step out to other people. You love up, you love out. You step up to God and you step out to other people. Well, these are the two key relationships that my mom taught me. If you get these relationships right, everything else in life works. You get these relationships wrong and nothing works. But never forget, it begins with God reaching down in love for us and then us reaching up in love to him. Now, the question becomes, how do we do this? How do we have this type of love in which we love God and we love other people? How do we do it? How do we have an intimate relationship with God? Well, I think the first thing is, is not trying to figure out how uh, we see God. You know, many times what we're on is kind of this journey, trying to find out God, trying to see Him, trying to figure Him out. And maybe what we should understand, first of all, is let's see how God sees us. How does God 
see you. There's a story in the Bible in which uh, God calls a group of people. He calls them their cho- his chosen people. They're the people of Israel, the Israelites. And one day as he is reaching out to them, they kind of get a little bit irritated with him and they think he's not quite enough. This relationship with God isn't enough. And they start crying out for a king. They want a king. They're saying to God, God, we need a king. I mean, all these other countries around us, they have a king. We want a king. Why don't you give us a king? And God looks down at his people and he says, Folks, I want to be your king. I want to be your king. God says, I want to be your king. I'm here. Let me be your king. And they're going, no, you're just not enough. We need something more. You're an invisible king. We want a king that we can see. And finally, God kind of gives in to their request. And he calls out to a guy by the name of Saul. And he asks him to be the king. Now, Saul was a pretty good guy, pretty good king. I mean, he was tall, and he was handsome, and he was very strong. The only problem was, is that Saul became evil. He turned his back away from God, and he focused only on himself. So as a result, God was kind of done with Saul, and he said, Saul, You know, I'm done with you, but you know what? I'll let you stay king until I find your replacement. So God went out and he found Samuel, who was a prophet. A guy that God spoke to all the time. He's kind of like a pastor today. Someone who speaks on behalf of God. And God tells Samuel one day, he says, I want you to go out, I want you to find me a new king. You see, the role of the prophet in Bible days, was to be able to help the politicians, to make sure that they obeyed God. Think we need any help with that today? Yeah, maybe. And what they would do is they would interact with them all the time. In fact, they were the ones who appointed or who would anoint, who would inaugurate the king. So like uh, in January, when President Obama was inaugurated and Justice Roberts stood up and he fumbled through his words, but he eventually got there. You know, I I felt so bad for him that day because I thought, dude, why didn't you have some crib notes? You know, no one would have cared. You remember that? But anyway, Samuel was that kind of person. But he wasn't just a judge of people. He was a judge of God. God gave him that ability. And so God tells Samuel, I'm done with Saul. I want you to go find a new king. And Samuel says to him, well, I hate to say this, God, but Saul hates you. And because he hates you, he isn't really happy with me. And if I go out saying, hey, I'm going to just go appoint a new king, that's going to be just wonderful. I don't think he's going to like it so much. So could you change the plan a little bit? And you know what God says, right, each time that we talk back to him? You know what he says? He just gently says it over and over and over again. Again and again and again. And so God comes to Samuel again and he says, I need you to go to a town called Bethlehem, to the house of a man named Jesse, and ask to see all of his children, and one of them will be the king. And so Samuel travels to Bethlehem hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born. And Samuel meets with this man named Jesse. And Jesse stands up all of his sons, and he begins to introduce each one of them to him. 
And the first son that he introduces to him is the son Eliab. Eliab. Now, I think names are really important. I just named a child named Shiloh, which means bringer of peace, God's gift and bounty. That's what that name means. It's not Brad and Angelina Jolie's, you know, next thing. Oh, we want our kid, Shiloh. I've heard that more times these last two weeks than I care to admit. But names are important. And so Eliab stands up before Samuel. Jesse's there, his dad. And he says, well, we named him Eliab. And Samuel would have known what that name meant. That it meant God is number one. God is first. God is the most high. So it seems like a no-brainer, right? That's the one. That's who he should pick. And so Samuel's getting ready to, you know, anoint him king. I mean, and this guy looked like a king. I mean, he was a soldier in the army. He was really tall. He had huge biceps. Okay, just imagine. Huge biceps, all right? And he had a chiseled chin. And he looked like king material. And so Samuel's all ready to do this. He waits for God, and God says, nope, that's not the guy. So the next son, he says, all right, well, let's bring him up. And his name was Abinadab. Now, this guy may have been a little bit shorter, a little bit younger, but his name Abinadab meant son of the king. Now, that sounds good, right? Like, that would be one that we'd pick, son of the king. It actually meant the king's successor. You could translate it, the next king. So you're thinking, hey, that's the one. And so Samuel gets ready for the inauguration service. He's ready to anoint him king, to appoint him king. And all of a sudden, he listens to God and God says, no, that's not the one. So Jesse gets his next son out. And this one is named Shema, which means I am here. Here I am. It's kind of like this guy standing here going, Hello, you want a king? My name, I am here, I'm the one. And Samuel's like, this has got to be the one. And so he's ready to do that. And God says, no, not the one. They bring up four other sons, seven sons all together. We're not sure what their names are, but I have a feeling that they were names like, here I am, Samuel, get it right, I'm the one. You know, I am the real one. You know, like you had that guy, Shema, I'm the real one. And Jesse goes through all of them. He says, no, 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 no. So finally, Samuel's like, I don't know what else to do. He goes, hey, do you have any more sons? He goes, yeah, I got this little, this little snotty-nosed kid son out in the field. He's a teenager. He's got pimples and all kinds of stuff. And, you know, I, I don't know. You want him? Yeah, bring him in. 15, 16, 17 years old. He's been out working with the sheep. He smells like sheep. And everything that smells like sheep, he has on him. And he walks in, and here's Samuel. He's like, oh, God, maybe there's, you know, maybe I got it wrong. Maybe this isn't right. And he comes up and he says, well, what's your name? And this is what he said. He said, I am the beloved. I am loved. My name's David. So Samuel's like, bingo, that's the guy. And this is what Samuel hears from the voice of God about David. And I'd like us to read it together. It'll be up here. Let's read this scripture uh, together. 1 Samuel 16, 7. 
The Lord doesn't see things. Let's do that again, all right? I know Mother's Day and you're thinking about what you got to do next. Let's read it together, okay? The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Folks, God doesn't see things the way that you see them. He looks at your heart. He doesn't look on the outside. He looks on the inside. Now, for some of us on this special day, we might say, my mom knows me better than anybody else. But you know what? You'd be wrong. Because God knows you best. God knows you best, and He loves you most. And this is probably the most comforting thing in the world to know that there is a being that knows every single thing about me and loves me no matter what. But it's probably the most tormenting thing to think about that someone knows every single thing about you. God knows who you are. All those people who say you're a bad person, you're a horrible person, God knows your heart. He knows. And all those people that you have a tendency to fool, and they think that, oh man, you know, he's the greatest person in the world, but in the back, maybe there's some stuff in your life, he knows. He knows this, folks. He knows your heart. He doesn't look at anything else. He wants to know your heart. All the darkness, all the light, everything that is there, He knows and He loves you no matter what. He loves you no matter what. My wife Jennifer and I don't get in fights very often, but every once in a while we do. Most of the time it's due to the fact that I'm sleep deprived or tired. Well, the last two weeks we've been averaging about four hours a night. So you can imagine some of the knockdown, drag out fights that have happened in the Bunch household. And many times what I'll say to my wife is I'll say, Honey, I'm just tired right now. Could you give me a little space? I'm too tired. Now there's a part of me sometimes when I'm really exhausted that I think to myself, You know what? I'm just going to say something stupid to start a fight. Any other guys want to admit that today? The rest of you guys are liars, okay? That's just how tired I am. So Jen... I'm tired and take that. Whatever that is. That's me sometimes. Over the past two weeks, thank God that hasn't been me, but sometimes you're so tired, you know, you just say stupid things. And you say stupid things and you want everything in your power to grab those words and bring them back. But you just can't. And you see those are two different motives, right? You understand that? It's two different ways that you may say something that's stupid. And what I've been wanting to do several times over the past two weeks when I say something stupid and it's just because I'm tired and she's hormonal and all that kind of stuff is what I really want to do. I want to like rip out my heart, not like a kung fu movie, okay? But I want to rip out my heart and I want to show it to her and I go, Honey, I know what I said, but this is my heart. This is really what I'm about. And for her to see that. And you know what? Every time that God looks at us, He doesn't look at anything else. He just kind of looks at our heart. What our intentions are. What our thoughts are. And He knows it all. Before my daughter was uh, born, my daughter Jordan, two years ago, I'd heard that it was really important that you should buy something for your wife 
and give it to her in the hospital to let her know how much you appreciate all the pain she went through. And a week or so before uh, Jordan was born, I was at my dentist's office. Our dentist is a friend of ours. She's a female, and I'm sitting there, you know, and my mouth's all open, and she's got everything on there. And she asked me, she says, so what are you going to get your wife while she's in the hospital? And I'm on the chair, you know, and I kind of like smile as much as I could. And I look up, and I, I smile a little bit, and I go, a gas grill. Now, our first gas grill we got was when we were married. It was 13 years old. It no longer heated things up. All it did was help to have the grill taste on it, and then you'd have to put it in the microwave. And so, you know, practical Chris thinks, man, my wife, what she's going to want is a gas grill. Suzanne looks at me in this state of a gas grill and being happy and goes, are you serious? A gas grill? No, don't do that. And so I didn't. I didn't get her a gas grill. I got her some jewelry. She was really happy about that. Okay. Well, when Shiloh, our daughter, was born a couple weeks ago, I knew that I had to do the same thing. You know, you kind of got to at least keep the bar at the same, maybe raise it a little bit. And so Jennifer and I, whenever we get uh, nights away where it's just her and I, she loves to go to the Westin Hotel because they have these awesome robes. They're the kind of robes that are there, and you put them on, and you feel better just as a person. And uh, they're, they're wonderful robes. And so every time we go to the Westin, she puts them on, but she has to leave them because I looked at the price on that robe. $85. And I thought to myself, you know, there's no robe worth $85. I mean, Jesus' robe, it ain't worth $85, you know what I mean? And I'm sure not going to pay $85 for a robe that you can get, you know, when you're, you don't use your robe that much. So I was like, ah. But for the birth of Shiloh, I broke down. I decided I'm going to buy her the Weston robe. But I procrastinated so long until we're at the hospital and labor is soon to begin. And so I get the cell phone out and I call Pastor Isaac and he's like, well, I can't do it, but maybe my fiance can. (laughs) And so her name's Katie. And I asked Katie to go uh, because she lives in Indianapolis to go to the Weston and get me a robe. And graciously, she did. She dropped the robe off. She said, how much do I owe you? And, or she dropped it off to me, and I said, how much do I owe you? And she said, well, I thought you already paid for it. I just picked it up. <laughs> and when Katie told me those words, I thought, this is a gift from God. God knows there's no robe worth $85, you know? So I put the robe in my car, went about my business, went home and wrapped it like every grown, strong, you know, man does. You get a sack and you put tissue paper in it and, you know, that's it. I gave it to Jennifer and she goes, oh, the Weston robe, you know, and she's crying. I'm thinking, man, this is great. And it didn't cost me a thing. And for a few hours, my heart was kind of turned evil that way. And then over the next week, I thought, well, you know, I'm a pastor of a church. I mean, I'm off right now. But, uh, you know, I am the pastor of a church, and so maybe I shouldn't take a freebie. So I convinced myself, I rationalized, that the next time we went to the West, and I'd just tell them, hey, I got a robe one time, didn't pay for it. Here's 85 bucks. And my heart just kept 
going back and forth about this. It battled. And finally, I realized I needed to make a call. It was very difficult to make that call. But this past week, I picked up the phone. And my heart battled, but I picked up the phone and I made it right. Now, my heart finally won out, but it was a battle. And all I'm saying is, it was just a road, folks. And I wonder how many times in your life or in my life in which something comes up and we have that moment in which we can make a decision. It might be on the golf course, you know. You got a seven, but you put down a six. Why? You're not that good anyway, you know. <laughs> One stroke isn't going to, you know, get beyond 50, for me at least. Why do we lie about things, though? And you know, on Mother's Day, I think the greatest gift that you can have is that you would say, from this point on, I'm going to have a heart like Jesus. I'm going to have a heart like Jesus. Mom, the thing that I want, I want to have a heart that's like His. A heart that is filled with love and kindness and and peace and joy and patience and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control a heart that's compassionate to all, a heart that is generous to all people. And so I'd just like to close, kind of rapid fire, giving you six heart principles that you can apply to your life. The first one is this. The state of your heart, the inside of us, determines how we respond to God's message. The state of your heart determines how you respond to God's message. Jesus told a story one day about a guy who went out. He was a farmer. He sowed seed. Some of the seed fell on the street. There's no soil there, so it didn't grow. Other, other parts of the seed fell on that little place that's between the, the street and the grass. And it threw there. And there wasn't much soil there. It was shallow. And so it grew up real fast, but then it died. Some of the seed that he threw out fell into a field. And there were weeds there, and it choked out the plant, and it didn't grow. But the Scripture tells us that some of the seed fell on good soil, and it produced 30, 60, 100-fold. And after the crowd kind of heard this, they began to start asking, why are you teaching about farming rather than God? And Jesus said, well, the seed is God's Word, and the soil is people's heart. You see, the reality is, folks, that each of our hearts are different. Some of our hearts are rocky. Some of our hearts are hard. Nothing grows in it. Some of our hearts have kind of weeds that choke things out. But some of our hearts are filled with hearts that are ready for God. And Jesus says this at the end of this story. But the seeds that fell on the good soil represent honest, good-hearted people who hear God's message, cling to it, and steadily produce a huge harvest. And here's the, folks, here's the point, folks. It's all about your heart. The state of your heart determines what this relationship between you and God looks like. And you have to be ready for it. You have to be desperate for the one who knows you best. Here's principle number two. A hard heart prevents us from knowing God. A hard heart prevents us from knowing God. Our heart can stop us from knowing God. 
Jesus said this, This fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah, which says, You will hear my words, but you will not understand. You will see what I do, but you will not perceive its meaning. For the hearts of these people are hardened, or it's translated calloused, like calluses on your finger. And their ears cannot hear, and they have closed their eyes, so their eyes cannot see, and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. They just can't do it. Their hearts are, t- their hearts are too hardened. They have said it with their hearts, that I'm not going to see God, I don't want to know God. I mean, people might even come to church, and they might be here and they'll sit here, but the reality is, no matter what I say, no matter what song they sing, no matter what they do, their hearts are just too hard to understand who God is. You know, I have a calloused heart. I have a calloused heart for the New England Patriots. <laughs> Anybody want to join me on that, okay? I mean, there is nothing you could do to make me a Patriots fan. Now, you can show me historically about all their records and all that they've won and the facts, and you can present it to me and say, you should be a Patriots fan. I'd say, nope, I'm with the Colts. You can even take me to a Foxborough game, in Fo- or you can take me to a Patriots game in Foxborough. You can buy me a big brats. You can get me all the freebies. You can take me down to Tom Brady and his beautiful wife, whatever her name is. And you can show them to me, and you can say no. And at the end, I'd say, I don't want this. And the reality is, some of our hearts are kind of like that towards God. The seeds just kind of bounce off of our hearts. And yet the good news is, is that the Bible is filled with people's lives whose hearts are melted time and time again because of God's incomprehensible love for you. Heart principle number three. We can say and do all the right things with hearts far from God. We can say and do all the right things with our hearts from, far from God. Jesus one time was with a group of religious elites when he said this, You hypocrites. That's a good way to get a crowd, isn't it? Which basically means, you actors, you pretenders, you wannabes. Isaiah was prophesying about you when he said this, These people honor me with their lips... But their hearts are far away. Their worship is a farce, for they replace God's commands with their own man-made teachings. Here's the point. I'm glad every single one of you came to church today. But the reality is, you know what? You could come to church every single day of your life. You can sing the songs. You can read the Bible. You can uh, listen to what I say. You can give 10% of your income. You can serve the poor. You can do every outreach project that we do here at the JAR. And the fact is, you could still be far, far away from God. Because He doesn't have your heart. I mean, you can do church, and your heart can still be far from God. Because it's not so much about what you do, but first of all, it's about where is your heart. And I just wonder today, on Mother's Day, a day in which there will be a lot of hearts that will be given in cards showing love, where is your heart? Heart principle number four. Good hearts make good people. Bad hearts make bad people. That makes sense, right? A good heart has goodness. A bad heart has badness. Jesus said this, the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. 
For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. Interestingly enough, what Jesus is saying is basically, if you listen to a person long enough, you'll find out their heart. Maybe not a week, maybe not a month, but a year, you can find out a person's heart. Just how much do you, do you talk about? What is it that you talk about? What do you think about? What do you worry about? Whatever those things are, that's what your heart is. You ever have one of these friends who pretends to be a real big bad guy, you know, and is a real jerk, and then in some moment of weakness you see them cuddling up with a puppy, going, oh, little buddy, oh, little buddy. That's the way God kind of sees things. It's not the outside, it's on the inside. You ever see people who, they, everybody thinks they're good. They're the best thing ever. But you know them behind them. And you know that there is a hardness of their heart. Heart principle number five. Our treasures form our heart. Our treasures form our heart. Whatever you value on earth the most is what is most important to you. That takes your heart. Jesus said this, But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What you treasure the most, folks, forms your heart. It really does. And the Scripture here is talking about money. And so if you want money to form your heart, you may get a lot of money. You may get wealthy. But that's all you're going to have. Or it might be a relationship, maybe with a spouse or a kid or a friend. And you put all this energy and this time into this relationship, but at the end, that's all you have. But if God is the most important thing in your life, at the end, folks, that's what gets your heart. He forms your heart. Here's the last thing, and then we'll be done. Loving God with your whole heart is the most important thing you can do with your life. In the whole world. Loving God with your whole heart is the most important thing you can do in the whole world. Jesus one day was asked, what is the greatest thing that you could do with your life? What's the greatest commandment? And this is what he said. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Folks, it's the number one relationship that my mom taught me. It was the number one thing that she wanted to get across because she realized that if I got this thing right then I would get this other thing right of reaching out to other people. And so I just have one question for you today. On Mother's Day, when hearts will be given out to many different people to show love, where is your heart? Let's stand for closing prayer. God, thank you so much for all that you give to us. Thank you especially today for our moms. They brought us into this world and they have encouraged us in many ways. Help us to honor them this day, God. To say it in any way that we can to show appreciation and honor to them. And Jesus, help us to have a heart like yours. Help us to do whatever we need to do to change our hearts 
and to take one step closer to you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week. Know you're loved in this place. If you'd like prayer for anything, come on up.